0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody. As I talk, if you have questions, just, what's that? One of the pastors here. Oh, it's true, I am. (laughs) As I talk, if you have questions, you're welcome to say them. Um, We're going to talk today about 1 Corinthians 3, um, but I like to set it up to tell you why somebody's saying something before they're saying it, so this will take a while before we even read it, so hold on to that for a second. Before, if you turn to your Bibles in page one and then go back a few pages before it all happened, God was one. He was the only thing that existed. He was all that there was. And he was more than enough. Correct? We agree with that? He was. And then something in his heart said, I want to share this with somebody. So he starts creating things, Right? And so he creates. Um, he he like, starts creating things in twos. It's like he, the light and the darkness. And then he separates the land from the sea. And then he starts creating creatures, and he'll make two of them. And somehow these two of them can fit together to make one. And so we read right from the very beginning. And, and as always in Scripture, the first time you hear something early on, Pay attention to that because it'll tell us something about God's heart and what he desires. So in Genesis 2, 24, we'll start from the very beginning. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay, right? There's two things. They're becoming one. God seems to like this. Okay, throughout the scriptures and throughout the old testament we see God gathering his people trying to make them one again and again he doesn't like it when they fight with each other and they're, they're divided so zechariah 14:9 is a prophecy of where this is all heading and he says the lord said the lord will be king over all the earth on that day the lord will be one and his name will be okay in john 17 john 17 is a wonderful thing just to if you want to read somewhere in the Bible, just to spend some time in, John 17, these are the last things Jesus is asking the Father for before he goes to the cross, right? And so in John 17:21, he's asking that they may be just as you, Father, are in me and I am I'm in you, that they also may be in, in us. Why? so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This oneness is somehow contingent. The belief of the world is contingent upon this us being one. Two verses later in verse 23, he says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. I've never quite seen this before, but this oneness is somehow, the world will see the oneness of the body of Christ and we'll know that God loves them like he loves his son. It's amazing. In Galatians 3, uh, Paul's describing what life is like now that we're in Christ. This is something that no one has ever been able to say before in the world. He's saying it's different now, and whether you believe it or whether you're living like this is one thing, but the reality that you live in now that Christ has died, has been resurrected, has been ascended, and the Holy Spirit has come, and this new body of believers has come with new life in us, is here. There's neither Jew nor Greek. These were opposites in their mind. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all... In Christ Jesus. This is the reality. And then later on in, the, ver- in the, the letter that we're going to be reading today, talking about when all this stuff gets wrapped up. You know, he starts off, God is all there is and he's more than enough. He Wants to include some people in it. So on the last day, when this is all wrapped up in verse 28, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-eight. When all things are subjected to him, that then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. It's a really fun thing to say. So that God may be all in all. It's all heading back here. So just as in here, he's enough, more than enough. But he wants to create somebody to share, to bring into this with him. So we, through no fault of our own, get to be these people who somehow in the end, where he's all in all again, and we're a part of it somehow. Don't ask me about the metaphysics of it all, but it, we, that's the truth. We, that's the way it happens. So we understand that God's very interested in this oneness, that it starts there, it ends there, right? So Paul is in Ephesus at the time of this letter. He's gone on a big missionary journey with, um, with Barnabas. Now he's on a second missionary journey with Silas. He stopped in Leicester and Derby, picked up Timothy. We went to Troas, picked up Luke. We went to Macedonia. He planted a church in Galatia. Then he planted a church in Thessalonica. He went to Berea. Um, they kicked him out of Berea because some people from Thessalonica said, hey, that's a guy's a troublemaker. He goes to Athens and hangs out and waits for his buddies to come who are helping the Bereans. And they all meet up together and then they go to Corinth. So we am going to try this again the last. Yeah, okay. Is everything all right, Shane? Last service, I turned this on and it stopped recording for some reason. It it makes no sense, but we're we're, we're good now. All right, Corinth is right here. See that? So in the time, I'm going to explain why Corinth was the way it was. Corinth was an extremely cosmopolitan city from people all over the world. And so if you were in the Aegean Sea or anywhere down here in the Middle East, and you wanted to bring something to Rome, which was over here, um, you wanted to go from the Aegean Sea over to the Ionian Sea, which goes up into the Adriatic and in the Mediterranean. and you needed to do this. But see this red line here? That's super treacherous waters, particularly at lots of times of the year, and you didn't want to do it. There was a saying at the time that said, if you've done that twice, don't do it again, because you've already tempted fate too many times. Like you're very, very lucky if you've made that trip twice. And so, but right here, if you could somehow get in here, those are protected waters, and it's smooth sailing, and it's a lot faster. The only problem is there's an isthmus there, and it's four miles across, okay? So what would happen is if you had a boat, most likely you're going to figure this out. And um, the, the people in Corinth um, had this great business idea. Hey, let's make an above ground Panama Canal, basically. And so you would park your boat and they'd unload everything to make it lighter and all the people would get off. And then these slaves would come and they would pull your boat on these rollers four and a half miles can you imagine some of the sizes of some of these things? Four and a half miles across that thing and then they put you back, they'd load you back up for a fee, obviously, and then you just have smooth waters sailing into the, um, the, the Ionian Sea and into the Adriatic and into the Mediterranean, so you'd go to Italy and things like that. That's very important. So people are coming from all over the world back and forth all the time in Corinth. And then also you, you can see it's a land bridge from southern Greece into northern Greece. So there's lots of people coming together, right? And also when uh, this Rome helped build Corinth and gave like some kind of land deal. I don't understand all the ins and outs of it. If you were a former Roman soldier, then you could kind of get land here. And so there's a lot of ex-Roman soldiers who live here. So that's where it was. Also, Paul was a tent maker, right? Paul didn't take money from the ministry unless someone offered it to him. And so he would set up shop and he was a tent maker. So he went to the marketplace and a tent maker did it's more than just making tents. It's also repairing any kind of cloth or leather good. You had skills to work with that kind of thing. Corinth also was the host of a thing called the Isthmian Games. It's like the Olympics. It's like the second Olympics is every two years they would come and they'd compete in all these sporting events and again it's another reason why people would come from all over the world there and if you're a tent maker that's a really good thing because people are coming all the time and they have to sleep in tents they need a tents for the events they got to repair things for all the shops and the vendors good place for a tent maker so that's perfect so Paul shows up in Corinth it's the biggest city he's he's planted a church in so far it's five times bigger than Athens and Athens is a famous city, obviously. Um, But he gets there and he meets this couple named Priscilla and Aquila, which we don't have time to get into, but super fun. Um, They got kicked out of Rome because they were Jewish and they were here in Corinth. We don't know if they knew the Lord before or after uh, Paul, but they became partners. And he actually sent them to Ephesus to start the church there to get things ready for him when he would come. And they became partners for life. Fun, fun couple. Also tent makers, too. So they spent a lot of time together. Um, So Paul got there. And Silas was with him, Timothy was with him, Luke was with him. Um, and they started in the synagogue. He, Paul would always start in the synagogue if it was available, right? So he starts in the synagogue, shares Jesus, people start to believe, and other people get really mad. It seems to happen a lot with Paul. Um, so, so they get believed, they get kicked out of the synagogue, and they need to find another place to meet. And they do. And what happens, we get kind of a front row seat into Corinth. Um, this probably happened in Philippi and a little bit in Antioch as well, where the Gentiles become more numerous than the Jews. In Corinth, it seems like there's not this base layer. Um, most of the churches that Paul had planted, because they started in synagogues and because he's, he, they kind of understand there's this baseline morality. Most people in the church, at least the founders of the church, had the Ten Commandments. They understood the Ten Commandments. They had um, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They had the Torah. And so there's this kind of baseline morality. This is how life works. This is what's right and this is what's wrong. That didn't exist in Corinth. So they're starting from a very different place. Um, And so a church that would be more uh, Gentile um, would maybe a louder church, maybe people a little bit more free um, in Corinth, If a person from like a church somewhere else would walk into there, we'd be like, whoa, it's it's awfully lively in here, I think they would think. Also, the spiritual gifts were moving like pretty strongly there. So if you'd walk in, you might walk in and see somebody just be healed right in front of your eyes. You might hear someone talking a language that nobody knows, but somehow this guy over here suddenly knows it for a bit and can tell you what that guy's saying. Or somebody may come up to you and just reveal the secrets of your heart, something only the Lord knows. This is the kind of thing that would happen, and so when people would come and check it out, they'd be, they might see something they could not explain, and they were drawn in. So a lot of people kept coming, and there were people from all over the world without this normal um, baseline morality of the Ten Commandments, right? Um, basically... <laughs> If you were called a Corinthian, if you weren't even from Corinth, if someone said, hey, you're a Corinthian, that means you're sexually promiscuous. <laughs> so that's the kind of reputation Corinth had that we're walking into. Another thing that happened was um, they, most of these people were from polytheistic religions. And so most of the people in this church, you know, you have your, Roman, your Romans who were here. There were a lot of Romans in Corinth. They had the Pantheon of gods, you know, the Jupiter, Mars, Mercury, um, Neptune, who else? Pluto, I don't know. Um, but they had all the all the planet gods, <laughs> um, and, and then you have Greeks over here, and they have Zeus and Aphrodite, and they have Athena, um, Ares, all these gods. And so there are a group of people who are used to picking and choosing. Like the Jews had one God, and so they had to deal with Him no matter what was going on. <laughs> you know, if things are terrible in my life, I got to deal with God. If things are great in my life, I'll praise God. But it's the same guy, and we always have to deal with Him, right? But if you're Greek, or if you're Roman, oh, this isn't working out well for me, I'm gonna to go to this God now, you know? The, you're not working out for me, so I'm gonna pick and choose all the time. And I have a particular God that I might have a shrine in my house, and he's the guy that I like the best that probably fits my personality the best. That's the, the mentality of this, okay? So Paul comes in and he speaks about Jesus. He brags about talking about Jesus, and nothing but Jesus. And he says it again and again, I, but I, what do I bring to you? I bring to you Christ and Christ crucified. That's all I'm gonna talk about. I'm not gonna get on this or that other soapbox. I'm gonna talk about Christ and him crucified. So when he plants a church, if you read the book of Colossians, that's probably what it looked like. That's how he talked about Christ and how he planted a church. And when that happens, there's a unity because we're all looking towards Christ, right? So it looks good. And so that, that thing that Jesus prayed for, that they may be one, so that people will know that you sent me and that you love them. That was happening, right? But what happens is Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth, which is way longer than he spent in any of the the churches that he planted. I mean, Thessalonica, I think he was there for three weeks. And usually he would come, the church would start, and then he'd get beaten or flogged and sent out of town pretty quickly. That's kind of like the routine that Paul had. But he spent a year and a half here. A lot of it was dealing with, all right, we don't have the same moral base here. What's part of my culture that I don't like, and what's actually morally right or wrong here? That's a question they had to ask a lot because this church was just different. Um, So Paul leaves, and then another guy comes, not too much longer, named Apollos. And Apollos is this really educated guy and a super dynamic speaker, really fun to listen to. He's from Alexandria, and he's trained, you know, probably in the library there and all that kind of stuff. He comes for a while, and he preaches. People really like him. And then it seems like Peter came by at one point, just based on some of the context evidence that Peter may have come by. Peter's super dynamic, and Peter walked with Jesus. So he's really fun. He was the guy that Jesus pointed to, and upon you, I'll build my church. Right? So you've got now you've got different personalities. It's not just Paul, it's not just looking to Jesus, and people are saying different things. Our minds, when we're confronted with things, I just want to do an experiment. Let's just pop them up there. Chocolate, vanilla. Mac, PC. Coke, Pepsi. Mountains, beach. Chiefs, <laughs> eagles. <laughs> Okay, I didn't prepare you for that at all, and you just started doing it. I gave you two things, and you just started picking one every time. We all do that. That's the way our minds work. Uh, we, that's the way we think. That's the same as, as the people in Corinth. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a preference, right, as long as we can keep it as a preference. Um, so this is what started happening in Corinth. You've got these, these people that are preaching, and then you start hearing things like, you know, Apollos comes. Paul, Paul himself said he wasn't a great speaker. So you'll hear things like, I like this guy better than Paul. He's, he's a better speaker. I'd much rather hear, I think I'm, a, I'm more of an Apollos Christian. And some, um, maybe the Jewish people especially, when Peter comes by, we're like, whoa, I, I'm a Peter Christian myself. You know, that guy walked with Jesus, he could tell us how he walked. He could tell us what his favorite food was, jokes he made. I mean, they could tell us how Jesus smelled in real life. I mean, like, how do you compete with that? I mean, Jesus, so I'm definitely a Peter Christian. Then somebody else steps in and is like, have you ever seen Paul's back? I mean, that guy got flogged and beaten. He's been shipwrecked just to bring us the gospel of Christ. And he never even took any money from us. He's working working all day in the marketplace just so he can bring the gospel to us for free. How could we not be loyal to Paul? I'm a Paul Christian. So that's what's happening here. And that's already a little too far. So you can see the slippery slope here. You can, we all have a preference, you know. I mean, a lot of you got here and you saw me up here and you're like, ah, I wish Tim was preaching, you know. <laughs> and that's fine, you know. I mean, we would have preferences, right. But um, it's a, it also becomes a slippery slope because the next thing we do, and this is our, our media and culture is pushing us more to do this, is so I feel better about the choice in my preference, I'm going to start attacking the other one, right? That makes me feel better about, I'm really right about my thing. So you'll start, it's, it shifts from, I prefer this to, and I'm going to tell you things that are all true. Paul's a boring speaker. I mean, literally, you can look this up in your Bible. He literally bored a child to death one time. <laughs> he was preaching, a guy fell asleep and fell out of a window and died. That's true. You can look that up. So I don't like Paul, you know. In my preference for a great speaker, Apollos, I'm going to start saying I don't like Paul. And the people that like Paul must not know as much as I do, right? Or, this is true again, you know, Apollos, when he came here and started talking, he didn't even know Jesus had come yet. He didn't even know, he wasn't even a real Christian. He didn't even know the Holy Spirit was available to us. Aquila and Priscilla had to teach him that. So, I mean, I've had the Holy Spirit longer than Apollos has. I've known Jesus longer than Apollos has. I'm not going to follow that guy. Right? See how that's shifting? That's true as well. When he came and started talking, he didn't even know that Jesus had come. But he knew a lot of stuff about the Old Testament. Um, another true story. Peter, I'm not following Peter. In Antioch, Peter wouldn't even eat with the Gentiles, us. That guy's super racist. Right? That's a true story. Paul, um, Paul had to review Kim in Antioch and say, what are you doing? Um, and so it goes from a preference to, I'm this kind of Christian following this kind of person to, and you guys are all idiots. <laughs> and these guys aren't good. And, and, and keep in mind, they're all trying to do the same thing. But that's what we do in our minds. And, and I don't know if you've noticed politically lately, that's what we do. It's not only that I like this or I hold these ideals, but everyone else is a complete moron, or trying to take over the world and is an evil, you know, one of these people. Um, So that's where we're being headed if if we pay attention to that and allow ourselves to be formed. So this is what's happening. So Paul's in Ephesus planning a church and someone from the house of Chloe, it's a real person from a house, either wrote him a letter or came to see him in Ephesus and just saying, hey, this is what's going on, just so you should know. And Paul's like, oh, no. And he gets out his pen and starts writing this letter. And we're going to start in, in 1 Corinthians 3, but just so you know, in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, he starts off talking about this, and then he, you, he, you see him try to move on to something else. Then he comes back and talks about this again. And then he's moving on talking about something, and he comes back to this. And this is the third time he starts talking about this thing. So you can tell he, it's bothering him. And he needs to keep reiterating, this is not, this is a very slippery slope. And if God wants oneness, this is, this will take us away from that very quickly. So I'm going to read the, the message version of 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9, because I think Eugene Peterson, the translator here, kind of gets the attitude And so I'll read it with his attitude, I think. But for right now, friends, I'm completely frustrated by your unspiritual dealings with each other and with God. You're acting like infants. You're acting like babies in relation to Christ. Capable of nothing more than nursing at the breast. Well, then I'll nurse you since that seems to be all you're capable of. As long as you grab for what makes you feel good or makes you look important, are you really much different than a babe at the breast, content only when everything's going your way? When one of you says, I'm on Paul's side, or another says, I'm for Apollos, aren't you being totally infantile? Who do you think Paul is anyway? That's Paul who's writing this, by the way. Who do you think Paul is anyway? Or Apollos for that matter? Servants, both of us. Servants who waited on you as you gradually learned to entrust your lives to our mutual master. Right? We're on the same team. We're all kind of the same. There's only one master here. We each carried out our servants' assignments. I planted the seed. Apollos watered the plants. But God made you grow. We couldn't do that. We have no power to do that. All we can do is water and plant. It's not the one who plants or the one who waters who's at the center of this process, but God. God. Who makes things grow? I love this next line: planting and watering are menial servant jobs at minimum wages. Just, to, just to give you guys an idea of who you guys are choosing, you're saying, "I'm this kind of Christian or I'm that kind of Christian." Th- these are minimum wage jobs. This is not anything, and that's why it's so appalling to Paul. It's like, "What? Are you serious?" <laughs> um, so, what makes them worth doing is the God we're serving. So, Paul doesn't beat around the bush at all. There, right? You know. And he says something right from the beginning. You guys are just babies in Christ. Um, it's almost like I thought you guys might have been further along. But and it's not great to judge someone's where they are spiritually. I mean, it, there are consistent like stages of faith that people go through. It's not great to try to figure out where people are. But Paul says something right here is like just the fact that I heard that you're saying I'm for Paul or I'm from Apollos. That tells me all I need to know about where you are. Um, and it means you're not getting it. There's this huge God that's inviting us into oneness with him, and you're saying, I like Paul, I like Apollos. You obviously don't understand what's going on here if that's what what you're doing. So again, Paul comes in, he preaches Jesus. They're they're unified. He preaches nothing but Jesus, and then this thing starts happening. This oneness begins to happen where a Jew will sit down and eat with a Gentile. Like they had the, the Lord's Supper when they would meet, and to them it was an actual whole dinner, um, they, it was a whole meal that they would eat together. But a Jew would sit down with the Gentile and they'd eat together. A Jew would not drink out of a cup that a Gentile had touched. And now they're eating together. And then you have slaves worshiping in the same room as a master. That would never happen outside of, this, outside of the church. Men learning right alongside women who are learning. Very new. It didn't happen. Rich and poor sharing meals together. Roman soldiers singing songs with the people that they'd oppressed for years, for their whole career. You know, former prostitutes and former rabbis sharing like a kiss of peace. And then another thing that would happen with the church is they'd laugh and they'd smile. Uh, I have read a little bit about the history during this time and people didn't usually walk around smiling. And it it was rare to hear a bunch of people laughing very often or singing. And these are all things Christians did. And that's what drew a lot of people to the church. It's like, why are these people all walking around smiling? What are they so happy about? You know, because their life is just like mine. Um, And Christ, Jesus said, you know, they will know that you are my disciples by how you love each other. And that was happening here. But when they start dividing, it starts changing something. So if that's the criteria, one asks the question, how are we doing with this? Um, And this is kind of an encouraging talk to give because I think Platt Park, you know, not to be boastful, but I think we're pretty good about not doing this whole, I'm this type of Christian. I only come when Tim's preaching. I only want to hear from Susie or I'm like a, a Rabbi Noah Christian or Ali or Stephen Christian. You know, we, it doesn't happen a whole lot, that celebrity culture. Um, thanks the Lord. He's been kind to us and keeping us away from that kind of thing. But also on the other hand, um, Susie talked last week about guarding our hearts, and this is something that it's helpful for us to guard our hearts against because of where we're at in our media culture and everyone wanting you to hate everyone else, right? And so we can easily get sucked into this like 24-hour news cycle when all you hear about is how dumb everyone else is, right? Um, And like Susie says, we're all being spiritually formed by something, Um, so How do we guard our hearts? Um, This is the practical part. So if you're a note taker, this is the kind where you you would take notes maybe. I'm gonna give you seven um, helpful hints on how to maybe guard our hearts in this way. So one, we keep in mind that we're all sinners. We're all in the same boat and we need forgiveness from the same person. And it's not some celebrity pastor. It's not some author that we love. It's from Jesus. We all stand in the same place before him in need of forgiveness. Right? Can we just all agree on that? That puts us in a place where it's kind of hard to judge everybody else, right? Or pick a team. Two, when these thoughts of superiority or separation, thinking I'm different than that other believer over there, something's inherently different about me, just repent. God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, have, I had a judgmental, uh, a ju- judgment is hit, in, entering my heart because I don't like the way they're behaving or what they're believing or what they're saying. Again, we're in the same boat. Father, I repent. Please forgive me. And I maybe pray for that person or group. Two, we keep our eyes upon Jesus. Paul only preached Jesus, and that brings unity. And also to be able to receive him from anywhere. I was a part of a group for a while, um, for about a year. And I started to notice after a while, I mean, they had a lot of really great things about them and they had a a neat way of looking at Jesus. But I started to notice the only people they could ever receive Jesus from was the people in their own movement, right? And if someone outside would say something, they'd be like, eh. You know, that was a red flag for me to think, I have that tendency inside myself, so I gotta get out of this. (laughs) Or I'm gonna become more and more and more like that, right? So we keep our eyes upon Jesus and receive him where we can. Four, we also agree that we're all wrong about a whole bunch of stuff and so is everybody else? Again, you pick out the person probably that has uh, the man or woman that has the most sound theology that is wrong about the least amount of stuff and I still doubt we're right about very, very much of it. We're created beings trying to figure out who this is and receive as much of him as we can. We don't know a lot, honestly. And so as long as we... No, I'm wrong about a bunch of stuff, you're wrong about a bunch of stuff, so I don't have the right to judge you about anything like that, okay? Five, ask for, God for, ask for God's help. I need his help on this. Uh, for sure, Of seeing something and the way someone's behaving or saying something and treating someone else is like, that's not the kind of Christian I want to be, I'm better than them, or our group is better than that group and all these kind of things. Um, God, I need your help not to do this. Um, Six. Ask, pray for humility. Again, a humble person isn't going to put himself above someone else. They realize you may have this wrong, but this may be appropriate for your stage of faith that you're in. I mean, it's, it's none of my business, really. I just want to be a humble person that loves Jesus the best I can. And seven, um, maybe the most practical one: if your TV, your phone, your iPad, your computer is on a lot, and you're hearing a lot about how stupid everyone else is or how evil everyone else is. It doesn't matter what side of anything you're on, but a lot of our TVs spend a lot of time telling you how terrible everybody else is. If that, like Susie says, we're being, tra- we're being spiritually formed all the time. If that's coming into my ears all day, there's no way it's not gradually shaping me into that It's where I'm always looking. And, I, and I've watched this happen uh, with lots of people, and it happens to me if I watch too much of certain things. It's like, then I just start to look for the ways everyone else is wrong. And... Eventually, that's going to come in here to the church, and it's going to basically make us those kind of people. And we don't—that's we, not what we want to be. We want to be a humble people who are looking to Him alone and one. Any questions? All right, thank you. Let's let's pray. <laughs> Father, here in this building. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. And we thank you that you've given that to us because of what you've done and the life that you've given us, that you've put into us. Lord, I'm thankful for the grace that have kept us a little bit out of this. And we ask that that grace would continue and that would keep coming always upon us. Lord, we ask you to guard our hearts against a culture that would tell us that we're in the position to judge everyone else, and that everyone doesn't think like us, do like us, talk like us, is somehow less than us. Lord, we know that's not your heart. We ask you to help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you, the God who gives his Son, the Son who gives his life, and the Spirit who never leaves. We ask you for this oneness that shows the world that you love them, like you love your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.